as John begins this epistle in chapter 1, he introduces a message. He's going to proclaim something. And what is going to be the end result of this proclamation? What is his goal in proclaiming this message, whatever the message may be? Look at 1 John 1 and verse 3. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And so what is at stake here in 1 John chapter 1? Is fellowship with the apostles who are doing the proclaiming, and their fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so what is at stake in 1 John chapter 1 is fellowship with the apostles whose fellowship is with God. So the message that they are bringing, the message that they are proclaiming, is going to lead to fellowship with other Christians whose fellowship is with God. So fellowship with other Christians and fellowship with God, which is going to lead to joy, fullness of joy, completeness of joy. Look at 1 John chapter 1 and verse 4. Fellowship leading to complete joy with God and with other Christians. This is sort of the aim, the end goal of the proclamation that the Apostle John is going to make in 1 John chapter 1. And that provides us with a little bit of context. Because in verses 5 to 10, John picks up this concept of fellowship. In verse 6, he says, If we say we have fellowship with Him, referring to God, while we walk in darkness, etc., etc., And in verse 7, he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, etc., etc. So John is not really starting something different than the first four verses, but he's actually continuing from the first four verses in 5 to 10. And he's trying to get across a message that is going to bring us into fellowship with himself, the other apostles, and all who have fellowship with God. And that's what he's going to unfold in verses 5 to 10. What then is his message? What message is it that he is proclaiming? In verse 3 he says, we proclaim to you so that. And in verse 5 he says, we have heard and proclaim to you. What is it that he is proclaiming which is going to lead to fellowship with God and with God's people. That is the main question that we will answer tonight. What is the substance of the message? Well, first it concerns that which was from the beginning. Look back at 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. Which we have seen, pardon me, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands 
concerning the word of life. So there is a that. There is an eternal that, which was from the beginning. And that has been made manifest, such that that could be heard, seen, looked upon, and touched. That was made manifest. And that was with the Father and was made manifest to us. As John goes on, it's going to be clear that the that in 1 John chapter 1 is not actually a thing, but a person. Namely, the Lord Jesus Christ. He who was from the beginning. He who was with the Father. He has been made manifest. Such that we could hear Him, see Him, look upon Him, touch Him. And He has brought us life. So that's one aspect of His message. But what do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that He who was with the Father in the beginning came to us to bring us life and we looked upon Him and we heard Him and we saw Him and we touched Him? What do we do with that? How do we respond to that? This is what John takes up in verses 5 to 10. He goes on to say, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, darkness and light are obviously opposites. What is being set up in antithesis with these metaphors of darkness and light? And here's two ways to answer it. One is righteousness and sin. That the light refers to righteousness and the darkness refers to sin. That's one possibility. Bear that in mind. The other possibility is truth versus deception, lies, untruth, concealment, etc. Now let's go work through this passage exploring it the first way. If light means righteousness and darkness means sin, let's see how that plays out in 1 John 1, 5 to 10. Okay, I'm going to change the words of the text as we go. This is not what the Bible says, okay? God is righteous and in him is no sin at all. Verse 5. Okay, so far so good. If we say we have fellowship with him, well, we walk in sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay, that still can work. But if we walk in righteousness as God is righteous, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Oh, now we have a problem. (laughs) Because we have no sin to be cleansed from if we're walking in righteousness. See verse 7? If we walk in righteousness as He is righteous, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So that is a bit of a problem. Now we go on and we say, if we have no, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So now the problem is compounded because he's telling us that the way to have fellowship with God and with other of God's people is not to sin. 
But now he's saying, but we need cleansing from sin. And if we say we have no sin, in other words, if we say that we're walking in righteousness and not sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now this puts us in a really awkward place because the way to fellowship with God and with God's people is not to sin. But we're told here, if we confess our sins, but why would we want to do that if the presence of sin inhibits us from having fellowship with God and fellowship with God's people? If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So do you see how like using light as a metaphor for righteousness and darkness as a metaphor for sin actually doesn't really work too good in this passage? It doesn't really fit. It sort of does, but sort of doesn't. Obviously, there is a sense in which we do need to walk in righteousness and There is a sense in which our experience of communion with God is dependent upon the holiness of our walk and so on and so forth. But it doesn't really fit very well here. It doesn't seem to be the sense in which John is speaking. It doesn't seem that he's urging us to righteousness as opposed to sin. It seems rather that he's urging us to truth, openness, exposure, Rather than hypocrisy, secrecy, silence, hiding. Let's now read it that way and see how that fits. God keeps no secrets, verse 5. He is truth. In him is no deception, no hiding, no untruth at all. If we say we have fellowship with God, well, we live as hypocrites. Well, we deceive. Well, we hide. Well, we cover up. We lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in openness, in truth, in sincerity, as God is truth, with no secrets, with no shadows, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, which would be to walk in darkness, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Do you see how that fits actually in the context a lot better? A lot better. And not only do we get there by process of elimination, in other words, by seeing that the other possibility doesn't work as well, we also get there from verse 6, where darkness is set in contrast to truth. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So in verse 6, darkness and truth are opposed. Which means that light represents truth as opposed to representing righteousness. 
in the way that John is using it here in 1 John chapter 1. And so darkness is covering up, hiding, deceiving, hypocrisy. So this is what is going on here in this passage. John is saying that confession of sin, openness, acknowledgement of our sin, is actually the way to fellowship with God and with God's people. Now let's consider how this plays out in real life. If we think that the way to fellowship with God and with other people is to be righteous, then what happens? We hide. We hide from God. We hide from other people. Because we perceive that if we were to be known to God, to other people, they would never have fellowship with us. If they could really see me, they would not love me. If God knew who I was, He would not accept me. If the people at church knew who I really am, what I really think, if they knew what I really said, what I really did, if they knew what happens in my heart, they would reject me. And I would be godless and churchless. I would be alone. And so I have to cover up because the way to fellowship with other people is righteousness and I don't have enough righteousness. So I got to hide. See, it says right in the Bible, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So I have to make everybody think that I walk in light. Righteousness. This is the way that almost every society works in this world. You meet the standards of the organization. You meet the standards of the group. If you are enough like the group, the group will accept you. If you meet the standards of the group, the group will accept you. If you impress the group, the group will accept you. And so the rallying point for that group becomes how much we are like one another. How much we are similar to one another. How much we bring to the table. How well we perform in the group. That becomes the basis of our acceptance with the group. And our rallying point is you bring something to the table. I bring something to the table. We are a performance-based group. You perform well, we accept you. I perform well, you accept me. That's the way almost every society in the world works. Many churches work that way too. But it ought not to be so. Because it's a failure to work out the gospel in real life, in our relationships, and in our church community. Our churches face the danger of becoming performance-based societies. 
where you have to act a certain way and talk a certain way and cover up if you don't and when you don't. Otherwise, you're pushed to the edges. Otherwise, you're not accepted. There is no grace for you. It's performance-based. That's the way that the first understanding of 1 John 1 could work itself out in a church. You see how wrong interpretation can lead to wrong practice. But the second way is much more faithful to this text here. And this text is more gospel-oriented than the situation I just described. Remember, John is writing about the life that was with the Father in the beginning, who has been made manifest. We've heard, we've seen, we've looked upon, we've touched. The life came to us in order that we might have fellowship with one another and fellowship with God. If the life that was with the Father came to us in order to bring us into fellowship with Him, then what does that tell us about God's heart? He wants to have fellowship with us. Because the life that was in the beginning with the Father was not pulled down by us from heaven. He was sent down by God from heaven. And so we know simply by virtue of the fact that there is someone who was in the beginning with God, who was sent by God into this world, who was made manifest in this world, so that fellowship could even be a possibility with God. We know that it is God's design and desire to bring into fellowship with Himself those who were at one time not in fellowship with Him. And why were we not in fellowship with Him? Because we were sinners. The very fact that someone who was with God in the beginning was sent from God to bring sinners into fellowship with Him shows us that sin in and of itself is not necessarily going to be a deal breaker in terms of coming into right relationship with God and by extension into right relationship with God's people. We could, we could know that much just from 1 John 1, 1 to 4. But in 5 to 10, the apostle unfolds that and unpacks that further. The crux of it is this in verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes this is interpreted and preached as if this is a condition you've got to meet to earn God's forgiveness and cleansing. Look, you want to be forgiven and cleansed? Okay, well, here's what you got to do. Confess your sins. 
You want to be forgiven and cleansed? Well, what hoop do you got to jump through? Confess your sins. But really, the way that John is actually using it here is actually to reassure his readers. Look, you don't have to hide. You don't have to walk in darkness. Because, because there is life that has been manifest for sinners. Life that has been manifest for those who were dead in trespasses and sins. He was in the beginning with God. But He became flesh and dwelt among us. We have beheld His glory. We've heard Him. We've seen Him. We've looked upon Him. We've touched Him. And God has promised that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So listen, Christian. You don't need to lurk in the shadows. You don't need to find a fig leaf and cover up. You don't need to run away from God. You don't need to run away from other Christians. You don't need to run anymore. Because life has been made manifest. And remember how the life works. It's not if you confess your sins, God will see who you really are and reject you. It's not if you confess your sins, Christians who are better than you will see who you really are and reject you. It's not if you confess your sins, you will be alone. Remember how the life works. If you confess your sins, He is faithful. Faithful to what? His promises. His covenant. If you confess your sins, you can trust that God is going to be faithful to do what He has promised for confessors. He's going to forgive them and to cleanse them. If you confess your sins, God is going to be just to forgive you. Just to cleanse you. What's the implication of that? It would be unjust for God not to forgive you. It would be unjust for God not to cleanse you. Do you realize how strong of a statement that is? God will be just to forgive you, confessor. Why would it be unjust for Him not to do so? Because... A, He has promised, and it would be the breaking of a promise, but also B, Christ has satisfied every necessary condition for your forgiveness and for your cleansing. And so for God not to forgive the contrite confessor and truster in the life who has been made manifest. If God were not to forgive and not to cleanse the one who trusts in the life that came from the Father and has been made manifest for us, 
If God were not to forgive and not to cleanse the one who confesses his sin on the basis that Christ has come from heaven to save him. If God were not to forgive and not to cleanse such a one, God would be dishonoring the work of Christ Jesus. Because God would in effect be saying, Christ's atonement was not sufficient for your sin. Christ's work of living perfectly all the days of his life did not earn enough righteousness for you. And so you come to hope in Christ and you come to confess your sins on that basis. But listen, it's not enough. That's what it would mean if God were not to forgive and not to cleanse one who has hidden himself in Christ Jesus. One who has thrown himself on the mercy of God in Christ. That's what it would mean. For God to be just, he must honor the satisfaction of his justice that Christ has made on behalf of everyone who would hide themselves in him. We can't say in one breath, Christ has satisfied justice for his people. And in another breath, it would be just for God to not forgive one of Christ's people. Those two things can't go together. And so John is reassuring Christians here. It's going to be okay to confess your sins. It's going to be alright to confess your sins. Because life has been made manifest. Because Christ Jesus came and lived and died and rose. You don't have to lurk in the shadows anymore. You don't have to hide. You don't have to sew leaves together and make a garment for yourself. Because Jesus paid it all. Because Jesus at the cross cried out, it is finished. Because he satisfied the demands of justice. It would be unjust for God to turn you away now. God has promised that he will forgive the one who hides himself in Christ Jesus. So it's going to be okay to confess your sins. And it's as if John says, and look, you're not fooling anyone anyway if you don't confess sins. Verse 8, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. The truth is not in you. If you say you have not sinned, you make God a liar. And his word is not in you. Look, God knows. God has said all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. And look, you know you've sinned. And everybody around you knows you've sinned. Maybe not in a particular way or a particular instance. But do you really think everyone else thinks that you're without sin? 
You're not fooling anyone. You're making God a liar. And nobody else is deceived. Only you. Only you are maintaining this mirage that you are without sin. It's actually not going to be shocking to everyone around you if you confess your sin. And it's not going to be a shock to God if you confess your sin. And God is going to be faithful to what He has promised. He's going to honor the satisfaction of His justice that Christ rendered on your behalf. When you confess your sin to Him. Christian, you have nothing to fear in opening up, letting some daylight in, cleaning house, sweeping out the cobwebs, bringing those skeletons out of the closet. It's going to be all right. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just. To forgive you for your sins. And to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is actually what leads to the deepest fellowship with God. And the deepest fellowship with God's people. A gospel-based fellowship. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We don't deepen our relationship with God by forsaking the work of His Son. We don't deepen our fellowship with God by acting as if the demands of justice have not been satisfied by Christ. We don't deepen our relationship with God by covering ourselves with fig leaves instead of the wool of a spotless lamb who died at Calvary so many years ago. We don't deepen our relationship with God by doing that. We deepen our relationship with God by honoring His Son And the sufficiency of his son's work. By coming to God and saying, I've blown it again. I've really messed up again, Lord. And I'm sorry. I'm broken about it. I'm tore up about it. And I feel in myself like I want to run and I want to hide. But I am believing what you have promised. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That because of the one who was sent in the fullness of time to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, I have received adoption as a son. I'm believing that and I'm trusting that. I'm believing what Colossians tells me. That Christ Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against me with its legal demands. And that all the demands of your just law are satisfied with respect to me because of my representative Christ Jesus. And so instead of running away from you, oh God, I'm running to you. 
I want to lay bare my soul before you. You know the wicked thoughts of my heart. You know the evil words that I have said. You know the terrible things that I have done. You know it already. Before a word is even on my lips, Psalm 139 says, Oh Lord, you know it full well. Everything is open, as our brother read earlier in the service, in the sight of him to whom we have to give an account. You know it, Lord. Let me just come on the basis of the work of Christ and lay it before you and be honest with you. I'm sorry. That's what actually deepens your relationship with God. That's what actually deepens your fellowship with God. Because when you do that, He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you find a father who is waiting there with open arms. In fact, saying he's waiting there might even be understating the case. The way Jesus put it is that he's running to you with open arms. He doesn't even let you get all the way through your confession before he says, quick, slaughter the fattened calf. Clothe him in the best robe. Put a ring on his finger. He's back. You see, going home is what actually deepens your fellowship with God. Not staying in the pigsty. Longing to be fed with pig food. Go home. And ironically, counterintuitively, confessing our sin is also actually the way to deeper relationship with God's people. When we practice confession of sin and when we practice forgiveness of sin within the church on the basis of what Christ has done, it actually really deepens our relationships with one another. Which is a deeper relationship? Let me set before you two scenarios. In the one scenario, person A and person B speak to one another at church. Person A says, how are you doing? Person B says, I'm fine, praise the Lord. And person A says, well, that's wonderful. I'm fine too. And person B says, how is your relationship with God? And person A says, it's, oh, it's wonderful. Isn't the word of God rich? Person B says, yes, truly. I read the whole book of Isaiah this morning. And they exchange this, these, they exchange these humble brags with one another. And each goes away not feeling like they really have meaningfully interacted and known one another. And they put on their smiling face and they go home. And we all know full well, they struggle in their devotional life. They struggle sometimes to find the richness in the word of God that they were speaking about on Sunday, putting on their Sunday best. And we know full well that from time to time they struggle with prayer. And we know full well that they, like us, have wicked thoughts. And we know full well that they don't always guard their tongues. And we know full well that they don't always act in a way that pleases the Lord. But this is how they constantly represent themselves at church. Does that lead to deep relationships? No, it doesn't. 
In fact, what if that's what always happens between person A and person B, and then one day person B really does something terrible? And his, his conscience is just racked with guilt. And he's so ashamed and he's really tore up about it. Is he likely to go to person A on Sunday? And when person A says, brother, nice to see you. It's been a blessed week walking with the Lord, hasn't it? <laughs> person B is not likely to say, well, actually, I'm really struggling. Because the reaction of person A is going to be, oh, are you? Tisk tisk. The shame. That doesn't actually lead to deeper relationships. <clears throat> let, me, let me set before you another scenario. Person X and person Y start to get to know one another at church. And at first they exchange small talk and pleasantries. Both are being sincere. Neither one is putting on a facade, but they don't really know one another. They don't really trust one another very deeply as yet. But they're, they're honest and they're sincere with one another. And as time goes on, their relationship strengthens a little more and a little more. And they share, at first, some smaller struggles and difficulties. You know, I've been really frustrated with this situation at work lately. Okay, you know, I'll pray for you. You know, next week, so-and-so checks in. How's it going at work? I've been praying for you all through the week. Well, you know what? To be honest, I'm still kind of struggling. And the dynamic hasn't really changed that much. Okay, well, I'll keep praying. Just want you to remember, you know, that we got your, your back. We're praying for you. We're supporting you. I'll check in with you again next week. You know, and, and then it's the other person's turn to, to share one day. You know, I lost my temper with my kids. Oh, man, yeah, I've been there too. You know what? From time to time, it happens, I think, to the best of us. You know, what are some of the ways that you've been thinking about how the Scripture could speak to that situation? You know, and on and on it goes, and on and on it develops. That's getting deeper. And then one day, if that's the way that the relationship's developing, if one day one of those brothers or one of those sisters really does fall into a grievous sin, it's actually much more likely in that kind of relationship that he would actually come to another and say, Hey, listen, I got to share something with you. This is what happened. This is what I did. This is what I said. You know, I'm struggling with something and I'm ashamed to admit it. But, you know, this is what I've been thinking lately. Like, can you pray for me? Can you walk alongside me? You know, can you speak God's truth to me? That's actually more likely to happen in that situation. And... When that happens and confession occurs because someone is trusting like, hey, I don't have to keep up appearances because this is not a performance-based organization. We're here rallied around the work of Christ Jesus. We're not asking God to love us on the basis of our performance, but because we belong to Christ. And we're not asking one another to love us because of our performance, but because we belong to Christ. We're not loving one another because of their performance, but because they belong to Christ. When this is the culture, the vibe of a church, 
And then a brother or a sister confesses even a serious sin to another. And they're met with grace. You know, I'm really sorry to hear that. That really saddens me. No, but I I want you to know I love you anyway. And I'm going to walk with you through this, whatever that process looks like. Is there anything I could do to help you get back on track? I'll definitely be praying for you. Maybe we should meet together sometime this week and talk some more. and We could pray together and read the scripture together. When we're met with grace like that, what happens to the relationship? It deepens. And so what we see John saying to us in 1 John chapter 1 is that fellowship with God and fellowship with God's people which leads to a fullness of joy is actually a possibility. The path to that Is not hiding. It's not lurking in the shadows. It's not deceiving. It's not hypocrisy. It's honesty. It's sincerity. It's truth. It's openness. It's confession of sin. And we can risk doing that. Because there is life. That was in the beginning with the Father, which has been made manifest. Christ Jesus. And so our standing with God is not based on our performance anyway. And our standing in the church should not, ought not to be based on our performance either. And so we should be able to be free. To feel free. To speak about our sins. To speak about our struggles. To speak about our difficulties. And in a church that recognizes and embraces the fact that life was in the beginning with the Father and has been made manifest. And celebrates that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. In a church that embraces that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. There should be a culture of grace soaked Forgiveness of pointing fellow sinners to Christ Jesus and loving them anyway and through it. Look, if God, if God can look at a sinner who confesses sin to him and apply the gospel to that sinner such that he forgives and cleanses that sinner, though he is the thrice holy God. Whom even the angels cannot bear to look at. How much more should we as fellow sinners be ready to hear the confession of another and apply the gospel to it and forgive and seek cleansing and seek restoration? Why would we try to be more righteous than God? Look, if God will have this one, if God is faithful and just, To forgive his sin or her sin. And to cleanse from all unrighteousness. Why would I do any less? Let me also forgive. 
wherever there may have been sin against me. Let me seek the cleansing and the restoration of this brother or this sister. Read it, brothers and sisters, not as a just another duty, another command that weighs down our guilty souls. Read it as reassurance. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So don't be afraid. Don't stay in the darkness. Walk in the light. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. We have fellowship with Him. We have fellowship with one another along that path.